the man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all these commandments since my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here with us this morning as you are every time we come together. We trust that you have kept your promise and are here. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus doesn't preach the gospel today. He doesn't show grace. Now, at this church, we talk unendingly, relentlessly about grace and mercy and about how they always triumph over law and judgment. And we especially talk about this question, the ultimate question that this young man asks, this what must I do to be saved question. We especially talk about that question in terms of grace. I mean, for heaven's sake, our church is called Grace Church for this exact reason. Our slogan is to proclaim Christ's finished work to a worn out world. We want to proclaim a Jesus who is gracious to people, a comfort. We put the comfortable words right in the middle of our service, right? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the Jesus that we want to proclaim to the world. We imagine Jesus coming to the worn out and downtrodden with a comforting blanket ready to soothe. What must you do to be saved? Just receive by grace the gift of faith that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That's it. We understand that God is too holy for us to reach him. And so we grasp tightly to the good news that Jesus comes to save sinners. That when we couldn't get to God, God came to us. That because we cannot stand before a righteous and almighty God, Jesus intercedes for us. He gives us his righteousness in exchange for our sin. That's the way you get saved. It is finished, right? 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 And this is Jesus' opportunity. Here he can make sure that people understand the plan of salvation. Here he can show us what grace looks like. He gets the question explicitly, what must I do to be saved? All Jesus has to do is explain the gospel. But Jesus starts talking about the law. You know the commandments, he tells the young man. Follow them. The rules are pretty simple. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Now already, if you're anything like me, you're thinking, that doesn't sound right. Where's the stuff about the cross and faith and trading righteousness for unrighteousness washed by the blood of the lamb? Where's the gospel? Why isn't Jesus Preaching the gospel. 
The man, though, gives us a clue. When he responds, I have kept all these since my youth. Yeah, I know the rules. I've been keeping them since I was a kid, he seems to be saying. That's easy. Come on, Jesus. Is that all you've got? The guy doesn't seem to be looking for grace and mercy. He seems to be looking for a challenge. And so Jesus gives him one. Go, sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. But the challenge is too hard. The high jump set too high. And the man goes away sad because he had many possessions. He was a rich man and Jesus got him where it counted. So I want to address just for a minute what happens here. A man comes to Jesus and asks what he must do to be saved. And Jesus, rather than telling him about the gospel, the free gift of salvation by the grace of God through faith in him, as Jesus could stand there and say it, Jesus confronts this man with the law. Why? Well, there's a saying about preaching, one that I suspect I've shared with you before, that preaching should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. The reformer Martin Luther went further. He said that the preaching task was to kill and make alive. That's what I'm doing up here this morning. My job description, my to-do list for today is to kill you. And then, sure, to raise you to new life in Christ but to kill you first. And that's what Jesus is about in this interaction, in his little sermon with this rich young man. He's killing him. Or at least Jesus is killing the man's idea of his own self-sufficiency. Jesus doesn't bring a comforting blanket of good news to this interaction. Now, to be sure, he is the good news. And we'll get back to that in a moment. But to this interaction, Jesus brings a scalpel. Jesus performs surgery on this young man. He cuts him open. And if that's too graphic an image for you, keep in mind that it is the exact biblical image. Hebrews chapter 4 says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, that is God, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. You lack one thing, Jesus says. Go sell what you own. Give the money to the poor. Come, follow me. Oh, really? Jesus is saying. Sticking the knife in. Dividing soul from spirit, joint from marrow. Exposing the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You've been following these laws since you were a child, have you? Let me tell you what following the law really looks like, what stewardship and obedience really are. 
Give away everything you have. Leave everything behind. Count on having treasures, not on earth, but in heaven. And then come. Then come and follow me. Jesus says that for this man to inherit eternal life, to be saved, he must give everything away. Now remember, remember that this young man was at least apparently a law keeper. He probably gave his finest animals for the sacrifice. He gave the first 10% of his crops or his profits to the temple. He was doing everything right. Except, of course, for his little problem of thinking he was doing everything right. He comes to Jesus thinking that he didn't have a terminal illness that needed a cure. But he did. And so Jesus like a good doctor, had to show him the truth. And so Jesus did not come with a comforting blanket. He came with a scalpel. The application of this story to our Christian lives is clear. Put yourself in the place of this rich young man. You come running to Jesus. Good teacher, you say. What must I do to be saved? But that's just one of the questions we ask, isn't it? How would you have me treat my neighbors? How about my enemies? What would be a good amount for me to give to my church? What should I do? How should I live? And Jesus responds, oh, you want to be good, do you? You want to know what it takes to be saved? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor. As yourself, give everything away, everything, and follow me. Be perfect, he says in the Sermon on the Mount. Be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. This story's message to you is the same. If you are considering a financial pledge to this church, a gift to your home church, or just the regular stewardship of God's blessings in your life, your financial resources, yes, but also your time, your talent, all the things that God has given you. Its message to you, in fact, is the same even if you just walked in off the street this morning and this is the first church service you've ever attended in your life. This passage has a message for you. If you want to get to God or please him, you have to be perfect. Be perfect, Jesus preached, scalpel in hand in Matthew chapter 5, as your father in heaven is perfect. Now I'm with you. That's over the line. It's too much. Surely we think this is too far. Perfection. Come on, Jesus. If that's the way of salvation, then who can be saved? And the disciples wonder the exact same thing. After this interaction with the rich young man, Mark tells us that they were greatly astounded and said to one another, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, for mortals, it is impossible. But not for God. For God, all things are possible. For mortals, it is impossible. We are the rich young man. We are just too proud. We cannot give everything away. But with God, 
All things are possible. There can be good news, even for us. I can never preach on this story of Jesus' interaction with this rich young man without thinking of what I consider to be its companion piece, the story of Jesus' interaction with a Syrophoenician or Gentile Canaanite woman in Mark chapter 7, just a few chapters earlier. That woman, you'll remember, comes to Jesus begging him to heal her daughter. And Jesus responds that he has been sent to the house of Israel and that it wouldn't be right for him to give his miraculous blessings to a Gentile, saying that if he were to do so, if he were to do that, it would be like throwing bread that was meant for children to dogs. So in a very similar way, Jesus takes a scalpel to her too. You're not good enough, he's saying. You don't qualify. But unlike the rich young man, this Canaanite woman submits to Jesus. She confesses. She acknowledges her unworthiness and asks Jesus to be gracious. Yes, Lord, she says. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And in light of this confession, amazing grace flows from our Savior. Jesus heals her daughter immediately. You see, the law afflicts the comfortable. The gospel comforts the afflicted. This text, sell everything you have, give it away and follow Jesus, afflicts us. We've heard it, and it is as true for us as it was for that rich young man. We do not want to give everything away. And so having heard this story, we are afflicted. The story intentionally afflicts us, just like it afflicted him. We've been cut open by the scalpel of the word of God, drawn and quartered our selfishness. Revealed, And God's scalpel is equal opportunity. It cuts every single sinner. Every single one of us. You, me, everyone. It has pierced us, dividing soul from spirit, joints from marrow, judging the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Before God, we are not hidden. We are naked, laid bare before the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Naked and laid bare. To use Luther's language, at this point the sermon has done its work and we are dead. This is now more like an autopsy than a surgery. But of course, Luther is simply using biblical language. Who will deliver us We might cry with St. Paul from Romans 7, who will deliver us from this body of death? And then he answers, thanks be to God who saves through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Death, even death, is not the end. Because in Christ, we are raised to new life. There is good news for those who have been cut open by God's scalpel 
Back to Hebrews 4 we go. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, approach the throne of grace with boldness, with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus, our great high priest, makes it possible to approach the throne of grace, the throne of an almighty and holy God, and to approach it with boldness. This is amazing. And this is how. Only the perfect can come, so he gives his perfection to us. Only the living can come, so he gives his life to us. There's a reason that we say what we call the prayer of humble access immediately before communion each week, a prayer that explicitly references that faithful Syrophoenician woman. We do not presume to come to this your table, O merciful Lord, we pray, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. Jesus is the means by which you can come forward. He who knew no sin became sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 Jesus, in our text this morning, preached the law, but never stopped being in himself the gospel. He did not hesitate to afflict the comfortable, using his scalpel to expose their need, to put to death their pretensions of life on their own. And this is what the scalpel of the word of God does to us. It exposes our need. It puts to death our pretensions of life on our own. But finally, finally, Jesus comforted the afflicted. He raised the dead to new life. He paid the price for you. He died the death for you. You are alive again in him. And incredibly, he's not even done. There is actually more good news. God's word, though it is first a two-edged sword drawing and quartering us, is more than that. It is also a creative word, an accomplishing word. God promised as much. In Isaiah 55, saying that just as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God creates new life. 
It converts us. It converts you from the rich young man to the Syrophoenician woman. We are converted from the one who would go away sad into the one who begs Jesus for permission to pick up the crumbs under his table. And Jesus has a word for us, a word for you, a word of comfort. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So come. You all came on the right day. We're having a party up here this morning. We have this party every single Sunday. Join us at the table. Celebrate the good news. Remember the story of your salvation. Revealed, cut open by God's scalpel, your diagnosis is awful. Indeed, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You've been laid bare before an almighty God who sees and knows everything about you. The things that you would never share with anyone and deny even to yourself. And the law is demanding. The only way to get to almighty God is actual perfection. But Jesus Christ has given his own righteousness to you. So come. Come boldly. Come in his name. Come celebrate that God's own perfection, resident in Jesus Christ, has been given to you. Jesus' finished work on the cross for you is enough. There is nothing more. Approach the throne of grace with boldness, as Hebrews says, so that you may receive mercy and find grace. Come celebrate that you are, in and on account of Jesus, welcome at the celebration table of Almighty God. Not, as we pray, on account of your own righteousness, but because your God's character is always to have mercy. And his mercy in Christ is complete today for you right now. Amen.